Chapter Eight of *The Man from Glengarry*. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bruce Peary. *The Man from Glengarry: A Tale of the Ottawa* by Ralph Connor. Chapter Eight: The Sugaring Off. The sugar time is, in many ways, the best of all the year. It is the time of crisp mornings when the crust bears and the boys go crunching all over the fields and through the woods the time too of sunny noons and chilly nights winter is still near but he has lost most of his grip and all his terror for the earth has heard the call of spring from afar and knows that soon she will be seen dancing her shy dances in the sunny spaces of the leafless woods then by and by from all the open fields the snow is driven back into the fence corners and lies there in soiled and sullen heaps in the woods it still lies deep but there is everywhere the tinkle of running water and it is not long till the brown leaf carpet begins to show in patches through the white then overhead the buds begin to swell and thrill with the new life and when it is broad noon all through the woods a thousand voices pass the glad word that winter's day is gone and that all living things are free but when night draws up over the tree-tops and the shadows steal down the forest aisles the jubilant voices die down and a chill fear creeps over all the gleeful swelling buds that they have been too sure and too happy and all the more if from the northeast there sweeps down as often happens a stinging storm of sleet and snow winter's last savage slap but what matters that the very next day when the bright warm rays trickle down through the interlacing branches bathing the buds and twigs and limbs and trunks and flooding all the woods the world grows surer of its new joy and so in alternating hope and fear the days and nights go by till an evening falls when the air is languid and a soft rain comes up from the south falling all night long over the buds and trees like warm loving fingers then the buds break for very joy and timid green things push up through the leaf mould and from the swamps the little frogs begin to pipe at first in solo but soon in exultant chorus till the whole moist night is vocal and then every one knows that the sugar time is over and troughs and spiles are gathered up and with sap barrels and kettles are stored in the back shed for another year but no rain came before the night fixed for the sugaring off it was a perfect sugar day warm bright and still following a night of sharp frost the long sunny afternoon was deepening into twilight when the camerons drove up to the sugar camp in their big sleigh bringing with them the manse party ranald and don with aunt kirsty were there to receive them it was one of those rare evenings of the early canadian spring the bare woods were filled with the tangled rays of light from the setting sun here and there a hillside facing the east lay in shadow that grew black where the balsams and cedars stood in clumps but everywhere else the light fell sweet and silent about the bare trunks filling the long avenues under the arching maple limbs with a yellow haze 
In front of the shanty the kettles hung over the fire on a long pole which stood in an upright crutch at either end. Under the big kettle the fire was roaring high, for the fresh sap needed much boiling before the syrup and taffy would come. But under the little kettle the fire burned low, for that must not be hurried. Over the fire in the kettles Ranald presided, black, grimy, and silent, and to Don fell the duty of doing the honors of the camp, and right worthily did he do his part. He greeted his mother with reverence, cuffed his young brother, kissed his little sister Jenny, tossing her high, and welcomed with warm heartiness Mrs. Murray and her niece. The Airds had not yet come, but all the rest were there. The Finlaysons and the McCarrickers, Dan Campbell's boys, and their sister Betsy, whom everyone called Betsy Dan, red-headed, freckled, and irrepressible, the McGregors, and a dozen or more of the wildest youngsters that could be found in all the Indian lands. Depositing their baskets in the shanty, for they had no thought of fasting, they crowded about the fire. "'Attention!' cried Don, who had a gift of the gab, as his mother said. "'Ladies and gentlemen, the program for this evening is as follows. Games, tea, and taffy, in the order mentioned. In the first all must take part, in the second all may take part, but in the third none need take part.' After the laughter and the chorus of ohs had subsided, Don proceeded. The captains for the evening are Elizabeth Campbell, better known as Betsy Dan, and John Finlayson, familiar to us all as Johnny the Widow, two young people of excellent character and, I believe, slightly known to each other. Again a shout went up from the company, but Betsy Dan, who cared not at all for Don's banter, contented herself with pushing out her lower lip at him with scorn in that indescribable manner natural to girls, but to boys impossible. Then the choosing began. Betsy Dan, claiming first choice by virtue of her sex, immediately called out, Ranald MacDonald. But Ranald shook his head. I cannot leave the fire, he said, blushing. Take Don there. But Betsy demurred. I don't want Don, she cried. Come on, Ranald, the fire will do quite well. Betsy, as indeed did most of the schoolgirls, adored Ranald in her secret heart, though she scorned to show it. But Ranald still refused, till Don said, "'It's too bad, Betsy, but you'll have to take me.' "'Oh, come on, then,' laughed Betsy. "'You will be better than nobody.' Then it was Johnny the Widow's choice. "'Mamie Sinclair.' Mamie hesitated and looked at her aunt, who said, "'Yes, go, my dear, if you would like.' Margaret Aird, cried Betsy, spying Margaret and her brothers coming down the road. Come along, Margaret, you're on my side, on Don's side, I mean, at which poor Margaret, a tall, fair girl with sweet face and shy manner, blushed furiously, but after greeting the minister's wife and the rest of the older people, she took her place beside Don. The choosing went on till everyone present was taken, not even Aunt Kirsty being allowed to remain neutral in the coming games. For an hour the sports went on, racing, jumping, bear, London Bridge, crack the whip, and lastly, forfeits. Meantime Ranald superintended the sap boiling, keeping on the opposite side of the fire from the ladies, and answering in monosyllables any questions addressed to him. 
but when it was time to make the tea mrs cameron and kirsty insisted on taking charge of this and mrs murray coming round to ranald said now ranald i came to learn all about sugar-making and while the others are making tea i want you to teach me how to make sugar ranald gladly agreed to show her all he knew he had been feeling awkward and miserable in the noisy crowd but especially in the presence of mamie he had not forgotten the smile of amusement with which she had greeted him at the manse and his wounded pride longed for an opportunity to pour upon her the vials of his contempt but somehow in her presence contempt would not arise within him and he was driven into wretched silence and self-abasement it was therefore with peculiar gratitude that he turned to mrs murray as to one who both understood and trusted him i thank you for the books mrs murray he began in a low hurried voice they are just wonderful that rob roy and ivanhoe oh they are the grand books his face was fairly blazing with enthusiasm i never knew there were such books at all i'm very glad you like them ranald said mrs murray in tones of warm sympathy and i shall give you as many as you like i cannot thank you enough i have not the words said the boy looking as if he might fall down at her feet mrs murray was greatly touched both by his enthusiasm and his gratitude it is a great pleasure to me ranald that you like them she said earnestly i want you to love good books and good men and noble deeds ranald stood listening in silence then some day you will be a good and great man yourself she added and you will do some noble work the boy stood looking far away into the woods his black eyes filled with a mysterious fire suddenly he threw back his head and said as if he had forgotten mrs murray's presence yes some day i will be a great man i know it well and good softly added mrs murray he turned and looked at her a moment as if in a dream then recalling himself he answered i suppose that is the best yes it is the best ranald she replied no man is great who is not good but come now and give me my lesson ranald stepped out into the bush and from a tree near by he lifted a trough of sap and emptied it into the big kettle that's the first thing you do with the sap he said how carry every trough to the kettle oh i see laughed ranald you must have every step yes indeed she replied with determination well here it is he seized a bucket went to another tree emptied the sap from the trough into the bucket and thence into the barrel and from the barrel into the big kettle then from the big kettle into the little one he said catching up a big dipper tied to a long pole and transferring the boiling sap as he spoke from one kettle to another but how can you tell when it is ready asked mrs murray only by tasting when it is very sweet it must go into the little kettle and then her eager determination to know all the details delighted him beyond measure then you must be very careful indeed or you will lose all your day's work and your sugar besides for it is very easy to burn but how can you tell when it is ready 
or you must just keep tasting every few minutes till you think you have the syrup and then for the sugar you must just boil it a little longer well said mrs murray when it is ready what do you do then he said you must quickly knock the fire from under it and pour it into the pans stirring it till it gets nearly cool and why do you stir it she asked oh to keep it from getting too hard now i have learned something i never knew before said the minister's wife delightedly and i am very grateful to you we must help each other ranald indeed it is little i can do for you he said shyly you do not know how much i am going to ask you to do she said lightly wait and see at that moment a series of shrieks rose high above the shouting and laughter of the games and mamie came flying down toward the camp pursued by don with the others following oh auntie she panted he's going to going to she paused with cheeks burning it's forfeits mrs murray explained don hoot lassie said mrs cameron it will not much hurt you anyway they that kiss in the light will not kiss in the dark she played and lost her forfeit said don unwilling to be jeered at by the others for faint-heartedness she ought to pay i'm afraid don she does not understand our ways said mrs murray apologetically be off don said his mother kiss margaret there if you can it will not hurt her and leave the young lady alone it's just horrid of them auntie said mamie indignantly as the others went back to their games indeed said mrs cameron warmly if you will never do worse than kiss a laddie in a game it's little harm will be coming to you but mamie ignored her is it not horrid auntie she said well my dear if you think so it is but not for these girls who play the game with never a thought of impropriety and with no shock to their modesty much depends on how you think about these things but mamie was not satisfied she was indignant at don for offering to kiss her but as she stood and watched the games going on under the trees the tag the chase the catch and the kiss she somehow began to feel as if it were not so terrible after all and to think that perhaps these girls might play the game and still be nice enough but she had no thought of going back to them and so she turned her attention to the preparations for tea now almost complete her aunt and ranald were toasting slices of bread at the big blazing fire on forks made out of long switches let me try auntie she said pushing up to the fire between her aunt and ranald i am sure i can do that be careful of that fire said ranald sharply pulling back her skirt that had blown dangerously near the blaze stand back further he commanded mamie looked at him surprise indignation and fear struggling for the mastery was this the awkward boy that had blushed and stammered before her a week ago it's very dangerous he explained to mrs murray the wind blows out the flames as he spoke he handed mamie his toasting stick and retired to the other side of the fire and began to attend to the boiling sap he needn't be such a bear pouted mamie my dear replied her aunt what ranald says is quite true you cannot be too careful in moving about the fire well he needn't be so cross about it said mamie she had never been ordered about before in her life and she did not enjoy the experience and all the more at the hands of an uncouth country boy 
She watched Ranald attending to the fire and the kettles, however, with a new respect. He certainly had no fear of the fire, but moved about it and handled it with the utmost sang-froid. He had a certain grace, too, in his movements that caught her eye, and she wished he would come nearer so that she could speak to him. She had considerable confidence in her powers of attraction. As if to answer her wish, Ranald came straight to where her aunt and she were standing. "'I think it will be time for tea now,' he said, with a sudden return of his awkward manner, that made Mamie wonder why she had ever been afraid of him. "'I will tell Don,' he added, striding off toward the group of boys and girls, still busy with their games under the trees. Soon Don's shout was heard. "'Tea, ladies and gentlemen, take your seats at the tables.' and speedily there was a rush and scramble and in a few moments the great heaps of green balsam boughs arranged around the fire were full of boys and girls pulling pinching and tumbling over one another in wild glee the toast stood in brown heaps on birch-bark plates beside the fire and baskets were carried out of the shanty bulging with cakes the tea was bubbling in the big tin tea-pail and everything was ready for the feast but Ranald had caught Mrs. Murray's eye, and at a sign from her stood waiting, with the tea-pail in his hand. "'Come on with the tea, Ranald,' cried Don, seizing a plate of toast. "'Wait a minute, Don,' said Ranald in a low tone. "'What's the matter?' But Ranald stood still, looking silently at the minister's wife. Then, as all eyes turned toward her, she said in a gentle, sweet voice, I think we ought to give thanks to our Father in heaven for all this beauty about us, and for all our joy. At once Ranald took off his hat, and as the boys followed his example, Mrs. Murray bowed her head, and in a few simple words lifted up the hearts of all with her own, in thanksgiving for the beauty of the woods and sky above them, and all the many gifts that came to fill their lives with joy it was not the first time that ranald had heard her voice in prayer but somehow it sounded different in the open air under the trees and in the midst of all the jollity of the sugaring off with all other people that ranald knew religion seemed to be something apart from common days common people and common things and seemed besides a solemn and terrible experience but with the minister's wife religion was a part of her everyday living and seemed to be as easily associated with her pleasure as with anything else about her it was so easy so simple so natural that ranald could not help wondering if after all it was the right kind it was so unlike the religion of the elders and all the good people in the congregation it was a great puzzle to ranald as to many others, both before and since his time. After tea was over, the great business of the evening came on. Ranald announced that the taffy was ready, and Don, as master of ceremonies, immediately cried out, The gentlemen will provide the ladies with plates. Plates! echoed the boys with a laugh of derision. Plates! repeated Don stepping back to a great snowbank near a balsam clump and returning with a piece of crust at once there was a scurry to the snowbank and soon everyone had a snow plate ready 
then ranald and don slid the little kettle along the pole off the fire and with tin dippers began to pour the hot syrup upon the snow plates where it immediately hardened into taffy then the pulling began what fun there was what larks what shrieks what romping and tumbling till all were heartily tired both of the taffy and the fun then followed the sugar moulding the little kettle was set back on the fire and kept carefully stirred while tin dishes of all sorts shapes and sizes milk pans patty pans mugs and cups well greased with pork rind were set out in order embedded in snow the last act of all was the making of hen's nests a dozen or so of hen's eggs blown empty and three goose eggs for the grown-ups were set in snow nests and carefully filled from the little kettle in a few minutes the nests were filled with sugar eggs and the sugaring off was over there remained still a goose egg provided against any mishap who wants the goose egg cried don holding it up me 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 coaxed the girls on every side will you give it to me don for the minister said mrs murray oh yes cried mamie and let me fill it as she spoke she seized the dipper and ran for the kettle look out for that fire cried don dropping the egg into its snow-bed he was too late a little tongue of flame leaped out from under the kettle nipped hold of her frock and in a moment she was in a blaze with a wild scream she sprang back and turned to fly but before she had gone more than a single step ranald dashing the crowd right and left had seized and flung her headlong into the snow beating out the flames with his bare hands in a moment all danger was over and ranald lifted her up still screaming she clung to him while the women all ran to her her aunt reached her first hush mamie hush dear you are quite safe now let me see your face there now be quiet child the danger is all over still mamie kept screaming she was thoroughly terrified listen to me her aunt said in an even firm voice do not be foolish let me look at you the quiet firm voice soothed her and mamie's screams ceased her aunt examined her face neck and arms for any signs of fire but could find none she was hardly touched so swift had been her rescue then mrs murray suddenly putting her arms round about her niece and holding her tight cried thank god my darling for his great kindness to you and to us all thank god thank god her voice broke but in a moment recovering herself she went on and ranald too noble fellow ranald was standing at the back of the crowd looking pale disturbed and awkward mrs murray knowing how hateful to him would be any demonstrations of feeling went to him and quietly held out her hand saying it was bravely done ranald from my heart i thank you for a moment or two she looked steadily into his face with tears streaming down her cheeks then putting her hands upon his shoulders she said softly for her dear dead mother's sake i thank you then mamie who had been standing in a kind of stupor all this while seemed suddenly to awake and running swiftly toward ranald she put out both hands crying oh ranald i can never thank you enough 
he took her hands in an agony of embarrassment not knowing what to do or say then Mamie suddenly dropped his hands and throwing her arms about his neck kissed him and ran back to her aunt's side i thought you didn't play forfeits Mamie," said don in a grieved voice and every one was glad to laugh then the minister's wife looking round upon them all said dear children god has been very good to us and i think we ought to give him thanks and standing there by the fire they bowed their heads in a new thanksgiving to him whose keeping never fails by day or night and then with hearts and voices subdued and with quiet good nights they went their ways home but as the cameron sleigh drove off with its load mamie looked back and seeing ranald standing by the fire she whispered to her aunt oh auntie isn't he just splendid but her aunt made no reply seeing a new danger for them both greater than that they had escaped end of chapter eight